0: This is Matthew Putman and you're listening to Utility Function. Just got to speak with Stefan Alexander, who I realized after this conversation, I don't see nearly enough. Stefan and I share something that we care deeply about, which is our love of jazz. We both play jazz. We also are physicists. The difference is he's a theoretical physicist and a really good one who studies cosmology, particle physics, quantum gravity, and as you'll hear in this interview, has really contributed in extremely unique ways. His book, The Jazz of Physics, I loved. It's one of the books I've given away the most in the last few years. I think it's as much autobiographically interesting as it is technically, and I hope that everybody has a chance to read it. So, this is a bit of an insider conversation about music, about science, but really about the connection of of humanity to the universe. So, enjoy. Hello, Stefan. Hey, Matt. Thank you for joining me. You're
1: so I said, "This is a,
0: a great excuse for us to get together." But I just found out you're in New York, and so you know, this isn't going to be. We probably haven't spoken in three or four years. Now there's no excuse for us not get together. Yeah,
1: especially um, get together and play some music and talk talk science and all that good stuff. Since so we we. You're like the only other person I know quite like myself in that way.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not in your league that for sure. Especially, especially with physics. I actually want to jump into that for a second. Sure. Um. I, you know, you're a physicist clearly, and you know, I, I think that. I think people, especially in the United States, like to think of day jobs, right. you know, and right. what vocations and avocations. I run into this all the time, like, oh, oh, well, you you do jazz for fun, or right. you're a businessman, or you're a scientist. I don't know; it's all part part of it. Yes. Um, I, you know, I I'm really I, I wonder how you you the difference I see with theoretical physics. And jazz is enormous. And yet you put together a book. You've talked about this. The reason I think it's so different, and I want you to clear this up. Maybe yeah. other another reason. Theoretical physics is exactly what it said. It's this mystery that may or may not be solved. It's, 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 it's not experimental. Yes. It's, it's all of these things that exploration and experiment in music seems the opposite of to me. <laughs> can you can you explain either the similarities or whether those opposites somehow make a full whole
1: to you? Yeah, no, I think it's. I think you nailed something that is probably one of the most difficult things. Um, and in some respects, I stayed away from that difference. Actually, first of all, I have to. I agree with you. Um, and let me see if I can speak to to that a little bit. Um, I think, for me, one of the things, one chapter I could have written in this book, and I wish you and I had talked about this while I was writing the book, because then again, I, then I would have written it, right? You should but have given it to the, the first thing I, I came to my mind, by the way, one of the things that came to my mind after, like, well after I wrote my book, I gave a talk at Google. Um, they had a, you know, the little book series at um, headquarters and. And a biologist asked me a similar, it wasn't a similar question, but let me just divert there a little bit and come back to your question, um, your point. Um, He said, well, you know, you made these connections between um, physics and and, and jazz. What's so special about that? I mean, I could easily, you know, talk about biology, like living systems and its connection to music. What's so special? And I said to him, there's actually nothing special. I think the exercise here was, it was for me as a physicist, because I had these two passions, I just couldn't help. But like, as I was doing both and engaging in both, and of course, trying to learn and trying to I, I, what's, what's there's a word here, you know, in jazz, we're both jazz musicians, we're both musicians. Um, and we are both, um, we we live in more in the place of experimental jazz, you and I, and, you know, what's interesting about that is that there is this whole, you know, you 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 open yourself up up to a you know, if for me at least, the space of exploration um, you know, is um, is depending on who you are, is wide open compared to say just restricting yourself to completely just play within the changes, so to speak, right? Right. Um Yet at the same time, so, so my response to this biologist was like this: actually, nothing special. I said, in fact, I I um, encourage him to then write his own book, and and find those connections because I said the value it, it wasn't whether or not this, the the connections between jazz and physics, or in this case, in his case, maybe biology and 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 music would be unique, but it's actually the it's actually the journey of making those connections. Like by exploring those connections, it itself for me was an extension of my theoretical exploration. So, as a theoretical physicist, you can say that part of what I was doing by making these connections or even forcing some of these connections um, was really just an, a way of exercising my theoretical chops. I wrote the book in a way to kind of, as you, uh, as you, exactly said at the beginning, you know, we take for granted, we've been very spoiled in the the last hundred years, Um, you being, uh, you know, being someone that invents things, you know, that it took over 2,500 years for us to just figure out gravity, you know, for Newton to get to that, right? And so we've been very spoiled because of this huge growth in in knowledge, and especially in in the um, advances of theoretical physics with quantum mechanics and general relativity, um, like, And I, I agree with you, which is that it could be that in the, it might take a much longer time in the near future to make another big theoretical advance. So for me, writing the book was also an exercise just as a theoretical physicist to kind of sharpen my knives in other ways and, and use, use my jazz and my, my, my music and making those analogies and connections as a way of deepening and having different perspectives actually on the physics, so they're oh, okay. all different, right? And and now let me actually answer your question. The difference is there's another need I was trying to meet in the writing the book. So that was one need I was trying to meet. The other need, by the way, this is all in hap- in hindsight. I wasn't aware that this was the this was my um instinct, right? But it's only in hindsight. Like if you would ask me this question three years ago, I wouldn't. I would be blank. The other thing I realized that was um that was useful for me. Was, um, was that in so many ways, when you're a theorist, right? Well, it's me, you, I, you forget that you're actually doing science. You're there speculating about the eighth dimension. You're there like, you know, talking about um, elementary particles that may never exist and dark this and dark that and quantum measurements and all this stuff. And you're, you're, you're thinking all these things. And you can get, I felt that I was getting, I couldn't get my feet on the ground as a, as a, and feeling like, you know what? I'm a, you know, I want to do science and doing science means somehow connecting your theory with something real. And I felt like I wasn't getting that. So, and I felt that it was hard to get that because of the nature of our field, you know, at the time, and even now, like, you know, struggling with trying to figure out how to connect string theory to the real world. Then giving up on that and then trying this other thing and the anthropic principle. We can get all to that. But to me, writing in the book about con- um, the, the connection between the physics and the music. As he's pointed out, the music is a real thing. You play a note on this instrument and the instrument is also a physical thing. Right. You create a sound wave and that's physics. And so, like, by making this analogy with this theoretical world out there to the fit to the music, I saw that it, it. It was a way of grounding me in in the physical reality. So that's my right, opinion. right.
0: I mean, I, I always feel people ask me these kind of questions. Oh, what's the link between science and music in your life? And I always avoid it completely and say, but, but I I think that it's more of a state of mind. The way that you're saying it, it's like trying to figure out things in different ways. You know the you know, the expanse of the universe or, or, you know, nanotech that I work at, or if you look smaller to something, you really don't know yes. if a string exists. You don't know. There is a, there's a fundamental physics that's still not, we don't really know what is completely fundamental. Yeah, um, And I feel a little bit like I'm, I'm very confused when I play free jazz because that's what I, I mean, I play as experimental as you get. Mm-hmm. Right? And you know, it sometimes makes absolutely no sense. Right? How we can communicate with each other mm-hmm. faster than the sound waves should carry? Yeah. You know, it's really weird because you you start to think like the other guys you're playing with, or other. It's really a strange thing. It's a strange. And thing. I I always try to figure out if you know, Feynman had this thing where he said, you know, that would. I don't remember exactly how it went. You may you may know it better, but arguing with an artist friend of his about, you know, whether painting a, a, a flower, whether, you know, the painter says, well, I don't know the science of it. But, you know, so I first can see the beauty where you're thinking about all, all the detail of it. And he said, no, that's why I love it more. But when I, 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 don't, I don't and, you know, the Feynman thing is really beautiful to say, but I'm not sure that I really try to figure out. This thing when I'm playing, because if I try to figure it out, it kind of slows down the process, right? And yeah. and it did not happen. Is there an equivalent of improvisation in doing physics?
1: Yes, big time. I mean, in fact, it was something I used to be ashamed of, um, and um, so you know, um, going through the physics thing I mean right you look we all have to take in graduate school certain core classes right so um which quantum mechanics text did you use um in graduate school was it Sakurai or was it um but you, you did Jackson you, you all every yeah, all the pain I of did
0: Jackson. I,
1: but the point is that like you know in, in grad school there is this there is a lean in um not uh, leaning. and i don't know what the, the word is but some kind of priority is played paid or there's this, this notion at least that you, one worships those that can like do the math and shut up and calculate and all this stuff and i just to give you one, one time before right before i was to start my first postdoc, i went into the office of a physicist who are a theorist who i respected a lot and i closed the door and i asked him hey can we, and there's something I need to tell you. Um, I'm really, I need, I need to get this off my chest and I said, sure. Yeah, sure. I said, this is, please keep us confidential. Um, but I'm about to go off to this really competitive graduate, um, postdoc program where everybody's a superstar. And I said, I want to let you know, I just don't think that I have, you know, I'm competent enough. I mean, you know, I, I need, he goes, well, why would you think so? You know, you finished it. You wrote a nice dissertation. Uh, I said, yeah, but you know, um, I don't do like I don't calculate the answer. You know, I don't sit down and count, cal- and I see all these guys who could just massively sit down and just from start to begin and churn out these amazing calculations and it's so. And I said, I can't do that. I don't do that. I suck at that. He goes, well, what do you do? I said, well, you know, I try to have a picture of it in my head and I play around with the ideas and do this and then when I get a sense that there might be an answer then I start backtracking and the guy goes that's exactly
0: what you should be doing. Right you're doing physics you're not there to be getting in the math zone all the time that may not have anything to do with the physics. Right right. Which is another thing I think of often is that you find great the greatest physicists now are uh are generally and I mean you certainly have to be a really good mathematician to be a yeah. physicist yeah but you know they all kind of lament or a lot of lament about getting into a zone where they're doing pure mathematics. Right. And like we were talking about we have friends in common that are just like really good at this, but still yeah. wear the hat of yeah, 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 yeah. a physicist. Yeah. Um because in the end we're dealing with what we think you know something that is reality. Right. And math can represent it. Yeah but what you're saying is i mean you you're envisioning what the universe is that's what right. einstein did man
1: right well
0: you know yeah. <laughs> I mean, right.
1: love. yes yes that's a, that's the thing and um so i think that in that, at that i think at that level the this intuition I, and I, we use this word a lot but it's exactly i feel you're totally right about that how many times I remember a time we played together. Um, who was that amazing sax player that you had sit in with us? Oh, he was part of your group, actually. Oh, Daniel uh, Carter? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He's an amazing free player. Yeah. I, I mean,
0: just the him. best.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was so intimidated, but, like, you know, I was also honored to be fighting. Awesome. Yeah. But, you know, that's the thing, right? He, there's something about. Um, yeah, I mean, there is. The less I find myself thinking about what I'm going to play, the less, you know, um, interesting things come come out of my horn. That's what I can say. But and the more that I find myself trying to, like, analyze what I'm playing while I'm playing,
0: it can fall apart. (laughs) And this works for you with physics. I mean, you I mean, this actually works where you can get into a zone of where you don't know what's going to happen next and. Yes, also, it, it doesn't happen out.
1: a lot. Of course, it doesn't happen a lot. And the few, the rare cases where it did happen, and it usually the the times where it happened is usually when I have I, like I do, like I start just you know. First of all, the important thing is targeting, like being able to identify a problem or the, the you know. I like it. To look at it this way. Sometimes it's as simple as. You know, there's some kind of phenomenon that everybody claims to understand really well, and then you just don't get it. You're like, I I feel really stupid here. I don't understand this. I don't understand, you know, this thing, this theory or this basic thing. And sometimes it can be actually well accepted stuff. And there have been times where I would just feel dumb because I didn't understand what everybody else clearly understood that's so elementary. But I found that in trying them to understand it on my own terms, I discovered that the reason why I didn't understand it was that there was some missing piece that then led to a research problem. So being able to identify the problem, and 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 then sometimes what I found to be interesting is that the most sophisticated answer you can cook up tends out, and your first hunch of the dumbest idea or the most basic idea, the you know, it a stupid idea. Turns out to be the thing at the end of the day that was, that was correct. <laughs>
0: right, or the thing that, oh, that's interesting. So you're almost, you're, you feel like you're showing this kind of vulnerability, you're going to, you're, you're assuming that these other great physicists that you're talking to, maybe when you were younger, they might have been, you know, mentors or professors or, you know, advisors, He's like, oh, shit, I'm going to ask this. Yeah. And they don't know the answer to it. That's where the discovery could lie. It's a right. problem for you to work through. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yes.
1: Yes. That's so cool. And the other thing, going back, I mean, uh, another thing, too, is that I, I do find that, and I, again, I know it has very little to do with just music per se, but I find that, like, you know, it's, it's important for me, even if I'm not, like, practicing a lot or to just pick up my horn and just get away from a problem and work and just blow my horn. Yeah. That thing I find to be a, a useful part of my of my um you know, whatever research repertoire, you know, picking up my right. horn. <laughs> right, right. But experiment with this. I've like gone like maybe a month without touching my horn. And I can really see a difference in in how I do my physics.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that. I definitely get that connection. Um, you know, we, when you feel when you feel more connected and free, it probably you know it seems to free up a lot in life. Um, you know, we had you know we talk about Daniel Carter, but we we do have um, you know one sort of mentor that we share that we didn't but not at the, or if it was at the same time, it wasn't together, which was Ornette. So Ornette Coleman, for anybody who doesn't know, I think, you know, one of the great innovators of the, uh, uh, you know, of of the type of jazz that I play. And um, I mean, I, I, you know, Ornette taught me the greatest lesson, you know, I mean, I remember, I love to hear your story about this, the thing isn't about me, but (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I remember being so nervous. Um, so Daniel actually brought me over there, the guy we we're talking about, or him or, or Fred, one of the other guys we we're playing with that night. Because you remember how he used to kind of have an open joint? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like mm-hmm. in Midtown, and I would, I was so nervous, Drunk. I mean, oh, <laughs> my like, God, I'm, oh, and okay. I'm mean, what, what What made you nervous? So, well, man, I, I loved this guy. man. he just, he was my hero. You know, I play these, he was in the, he was in the top three of the pantheon of great musicians that influenced me, jazz musicians. Right. Yes. And I'm like, who am I to be, who am I to be playing with this guy, even in an, you know, in a very off the record sort of way. And, um, I remember my friend telling me, "You know, don't worry. You'll get in there and play with Ornette. The way we play, he never stops anybody. We can just play." And I go in there, start. I sit at the piano, I start playing, and then he stops everyone. <laughs> I'm like oh. you know, it's like I'm I'm told that anybody can play, and he stops me. You know, so it's like I really am that horrible. And he said to me that yeah, I remember him saying to me, he goes. And you, you, you got to stop looking at the music and play with the people in the room. <laughs> he I don't have any music in front of me, he goes, Yeah, you do. And he was right. I was always trying to play something and not discover something. And that oh. stuck with me so much. That really stuck with me so much. So I try to clear my mind of the music of everything I know. I mean, it sort of sits in the back of my head with everything, but. Mm-hmm. I, Tell me about your experience with, with Arnett. Did you have good experiences with Arnett? I did.
1: I did. And, you know, like you, I'm sure that looking back at it, you're like, oh, man, I wish I could have, should have. The they, questions I wish I could have asked, you know. You know, they were like these kind of things. With, but, you know, one one of these. I found that he always, his timing was just so right, you know. He would all, in terms of when he would, when he would reveal some gem to you, it would be so unexpected which you know which makes sense right looking at it in hindsight um so yeah one one very valuable lesson that took me years to um digest was i think it was the second time i met him, maybe the first time and i as, as you said i was nervous because you know he's a am
0: a horn sax player and he's a sax player yeah it's even worse yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: true. <laughs> and I met I met Ornette through actually through a mutual friend, Jaron Lanier. Who, who, oh yeah, Oh you know, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. So Jaron took me to see Onep, and um, and I get there to his midtown spot, you know, <laughs> um, and he was like, the first thing he was, like, yeah, just yes, yes. Um, there was this guy that was he was actually le- levitating in my living room, and I'm like, okay, this guy has lost it. Um, but he looked really serious when he said it. So, so, so anyway, so the guy just levitated in my living room. I was like, okay, you know. So, so then, um, Jaron introduced me and you know, mentioned that I played the sax. And then, out of the blue, we go into we go into his um, his you know his music space in in his place. Um, and you know his white saxophone alto. Oh yeah, the yeah, famous yeah. yeah. He picked it up and f- put it in my face and said, Go, "Play it." No way, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. I never expected
0: that thing to touch my hands and lips. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: I mean, he goes, um, uh, he goes here's a, here's a mouthpiece of the DVD, and I, I, you know, literally my my face froze up, and I, I'm very nervous because he just like. know it was it wasn't there was no preparation hey next week when you come you know it was just like play it now um which is the lesson right the lesson is go there's no time you know it's a lesson about improvisation right it's like gotta be ready or not right? right now and um so i picked it up i played it i you know i blew into it and he goes um okay and then he, he goes, play it again. I played it again, play it again. And then basically, it became a, that became a very organic lesson about about that I basically needed to work on my sound. You know, All right, I, I had this great sound, and it was his way of saying you need to you need to work on your you know not. He didn't tell me I need to work on my sound, but he made me realize just by doing that exercise. That like, oh, I, I need to, I need to work. When you were
0: playing alone
1: or you were playing with, was he
0: playing with you or with somebody no, else?
1: No, he was just listening to me play. Yeah. Yeah, just, but he just, he didn't want me to play notes. He wanted me to play a sound.
0: Right, long, you know, long, yeah, tone.
1: long tone. Yeah, long tone. Because he was always, he was all about sound. Yeah. Right? And so that was the first lesson, which was basically how to, you know, what to pay attention to um, as I'm, as I'm, generating a sound out of the saxophone and it was you know so that was that that was my kind of first meeting with him and then he then asked me oh yeah what um, what are you thinking about these days and i was like well um i'm working on i'm working on the vortex because i was working on you know these particular types of uh, you know configurations, right? And, and field theory, but it's you know vortices are everywhere, as you know. And he goes, "I played a vortex." <laughs> so, so did he know about vortices? Did I mean? Did he have any oh, idea? Oh, what yeah, had- you know, so I explained it what the vortex to him was, and I explained by you know by showing the kind of geometry of it and some you know the patterns in the vortex, you know, sort of like, you know, you know, the usual, eye have the storm type of pattern of a hurricane. And he basically said that, you know, from time to time, he'll play that. And then it occurred to me after many, you know, have to reflect on that. if you listen to a lot of his playing, not a lot, a lot, but if you, you'll find that he's right. There's a sense in which he's not only just playing notes, but he's playing shapes you know, Yeah. there's a kind of shape. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, we, yeah. So it, it, oh, he was right. He was
0: playing it, even if he knew. Yeah.
1: We had a kind of, you know, you know, I had his number and I would, you know, whenever I was in New York, I would just, you know, pop in. Like, you know, it was that kind of situation. Um, I would just pop in and would just, you know, hang out. And um, every now and then he would share a jam with me. Um, but you know, it's the kind of thing with Onet. Every time, as I get older and my ears get more developed, it's like, "Oh, now I get it. Oh, and now I hear this." Right? So I don't know yeah. about that. Um,
0: yeah, it's a lifetime discovery, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you have the equivalent um, in in physics that you call up, like to rediscover to find your tone again? Um, did you have that kind of mentor? I'm not whether yeah. it's now or yeah. back
1: then. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, yes, uh, it's called Leon Cooper, mm-hmm. my, so Leon Cooper is, for, um, you know, um, for many people out there, I consider to be, you know, I mean, one of the great physicists of, um, of our times, I mean, he, as you know, experimentally, this is one of these interesting things, right? Experimentally superconductivity was experimentally discovered, meaning that um, a metal, when you cool it to a low enough temperature... It will conduct electricity with zero resistance, which is strange. And for almost like 50 years, many of the top people worked on it, including Feynman himself and Einstein worked on it, to try to figure out um, the quant- underlying quantum mechanics. And Cooper, at a young age, cracked that puzzle. And he was a professor when I went at Brown, where I was a grad student. And he was one of these people, like a sort of no-nonsense type like, you know, would not mince his words and, and was never Mr. Complicated. He would ask really baby questions. And so anyway, he and I, he was one of the professors at, um, in grad school that I really felt like I, I really, even though he was, it, he would say things to me that was just right to the point and like, I don't know what you're thinking, of, that's clearly wrong. It was always coming from this place of because I expect great things of you, Stefan, right? And so I always, that kind of tough love, I really um, bonded with him because of that. You know, he was like, you know, he's a New Yorker, like, you know, like us. And I think he went to Bronx Science. But anyway, so anyway, many years later, um, after I graduated um, and, you know, became a professor and, thought I had something to show off because I, I, I always had this idea that one day I'm going to come back to Leon and tell him all this, like you know, catch up on what I've done. So at that point, I had just gotten tenure. I had, um, I got this award, you know, whatever, that had a little bit of, you know, honor to it and that kind of stuff for my research. So I was driving down from Boston back to Philadelphia, which is where I was at at the time, and decided to pop into Leon's office and this is probably 15 years after I graduated from my PhD program and he was actually just about to retire and I, I meet him and we go up to his huge office and we're sitting down and, and I'm telling him my, my stuff um, like you know what I've been up to and and I go to the blackboard and I'm showing off all the stuff all the, all the stuff I know um, you know it's the kind of thing like you 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 go off in the world and you do your thing. You come back home to your uncle to show off and say, "Hey," or to say, "Hey, look at what well, you know. I'm not that little boy you used to know. I'm now a grown-up guy. I've traveled, and I, here's here's uh, all the things I've done." Right. So I'm showing him this new theory that I'm working on, and thinking that. And he goes, "You know what? You know you need to find a real problem and just solve it." Oh, and I was like, what? what? What have I been doing for
0: 15 years? <laughs> right? <laughs> so that was my, He was like, you need- no. Don't impress me with what's already been done. Do something probably, new. Is that what you probably, I mean? That's yeah. a basic idea. And
1: also, like, you know, don't
0: necessarily follow the herd.
1: Um, You know, like, I think I was trying to this idea of, like, oh, you know, I'm, why am I trying to solve these problems? And who am I trying to impress or maybe like, you know, or, you know, everyone is working on this problem because they think that this problem is what have you. What Leon, I guess what I heard from him was, first of all, step back and find your direction. Find a prop, find a real problem Said, In other words, like, oh, this big bang stuff you're working on, find a, okay, you do cosmology, you do particle, with find a real physics problem, and as a theorist, find it first. And so the challenge for me, I spent the next two years, luckily I had the leisure, my grant didn't run out, right? So, and I literally just spent time not really touching problems, but trying to find the problem to work on, the problems to work on. I found that to be such an interesting thing, right? And he said, find the problem, then dedicate yourself to the problem. And this is coming from you know the, this is coming from a guy that you know wanted lower price mean, uh, solving yeah, a problem. Right. You know, it was like I, you know, he was able to find a problem, and then of course, okay, you can find a problem—that's one thing. Um, but the exercise of find a problem actually is interesting because I think it's connected to what you just said there about exploring, right? Um, and what went um it evoked in you. Um, so yeah find that problem, you then therefore have to bravely explore in 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 directions that you may have been afraid to. So I had to confront some fears and some fears of failure, actually.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that I think that is the thing that a, a lot of people don't maybe they don't know a, a lot about theoretical physics is that right now there's no sort of leading candidate about what is right, right? So there's money being put into things. There's been, you know, you've worked on string theory, you've worked on a number, there's a good chance that you could spend a lot of your life working on a problem that you never find a solution to or could be wrong.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely, 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 yes. And that's how I felt, that's how I was feeling. I said to myself, oh, wait a minute, For 15 years I've been working on this thing, and why did I start working on this? Well, oh, and I it because somebody else or the, the influences of others. Um, and you know, it's amazing. I mean, I don't know if it was subconsciously, but in the sense that I was kind of blindly working on this thing because I don't know if it was because it's fashionable or made. you know, it, it's a way of um, what's the word um to get when you. When you fit in the club or even the risk of getting kicked out of the club, um, you know, um, um, you know, being shunned or even stigmatized because you're working, you're not working on that problem. And that's the problem that the smart people, are, are, you know, should be working on or the, 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 a good physicist should be working on um, or, or even don't look at that problem is only the smart people can work on that problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Only the small ones should be looking at that. And you're not that to be looking at that problem. Right. So there's yeah. some of that, too. Who are you to play free jazz? I mean, you have to be, you know, on some other level to play
0: free. You know, there's this internal chatter. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. there is definitely something that the t- the two things you've ex- excelled at and that you seem to really like are two things that mo- many people are extremely intimidated by. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's the hard things. You know, it's like, you know, rock and roll is easy. This is, uh, jazz is hard. Now, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is, this is perception, you know. Um, you, know uh, you know, being a comms major in <laughs> school is easy. Being a physics major is hard. Um, I think that there may be some case to be made about rigor or, or something in that, um, but how much do you think you were driven by the idea that these were bigger challenges than the rest of society thought were big challenges, were smaller challenges? Wait, say that one more, I just want to go. Get- no, I, and not, I was, yeah, it was not very articulate. So most people think physics is hard. Right, yes. You know, most people don't touch it. They certainly don't touch the areas of physics that you touch. Yeah. In the modern era, most people don't touch jazz. And that even listening to it. They say this is a challenge to listen to. Man, there's, there's a history. It's difficult to get into. And I don't even talk about just free jazz or experiment. Like jazz in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, you have taken on these two extremely things that society says are difficult. Was that ever conscious? Yeah, good question. I mean, that's a
1: really good question. I mean, um, the the answer was yes and no. So um, no and yes, maybe. Um, so when I was in high school, you know, New York City, the Bronx, grew up in the Bronx, public high school guy. Um, so physics was one of these things was kind of like this fun video game type of escape. That, oh, look, you can... Wait, with this one concept or equation, I can explain many different things. The you know the, the movement of the moon around the Earth is the same thing that makes an apple fall. Oh, this is really interesting, and so like there was this kind of like, you know, the way it piqued my curiosity and my ability to have fun with it at that level. Um, it was a game; I got a kick out of it, um, and. Um, and it was there was a lot of play associated with it. Now, when I went to college, um, there was this sense in which I think, you know, if you're a physics major, you start hearing people saying, "Oh, you must be really smart to be doing physics." And that was the first time I started hearing all these these things, um, and that was unfortunately a little bit to my de- to the detriment. I think I mean that was a that's not a useful thing. Look you know, in hindsight, because. In all honesty, I sort of felt like, you know, there's just so there the reason why I did physics because there were just so many other things that were just so much harder for me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> major was hard. <laughs> like, you know, and and um so, but I couldn't escape, of course, this sort of societal thing that, oh, if you're a physics person, it, it it's so hard. and you must be so smart. Well, smart in that way, but but again, internalizing that. I think the place where it really didn't help me, wasn't useful, and still is kind of the case, is that some people really start, um, some people uh, more than others um, are driven by that because it's sort of like, therefore, I'm smarter than you. And that means I'm, da da da, and I'm going to get, you know, more, I'm more successful than you. I'm, you know, and I think that there were some people in my cohort. Who may have? Who I think internalized those messages, like, and as a result, I they made assumptions that I was the dumber one out of all of them. <laughs> so,
0: oh God, I know the feeling.
1: This kind of thing because I was just because my entry point into physics was kind of different than 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 them. Um, I wasn't learning and thinking physics. Uh, you know, I, I think we all were in, integrating that information differently. Even if the end product was at the end of the day, we knew similar things. So I think you know that's sort of the unfortunate thing is like when you don't necessarily, in what way, shape, or form, fit into cohorts that are, you know, defined by being smart. It can it, it start looking like the law of the flies real quick, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. Like you, you're, you know, you don't try to prove yourself to those. That are say that are around you that expect you to, be, but you're trying to prove yourself to Cooper, right? And then you realize right. that even that right is not what the goal right. is, right? Exactly. But, you know, it's you know, it's it's not a a competition in the, in that sense of proving you're, you're smart or not smart. A lot of smart people in a lot of different ways. Yeah, exactly. example, like I. I you're, I think you're smart.
1: I mean, you you build and invent things. I mean, to me, like you know, real things. And I think that
0: that. Like oh, the same way but I'm know. definitely, I, I definitely Does feel mean, like an amateur. I, I do. Hmm? I, I feel like an amateur in everything I do. I mean, I'm really. But that's, um, you know, I I think that's why I do so many many things. It's like do do a lot of things, you know, because I can't be really great at one. But that's but there's a great joy in that experience experiencing those things. Um, but, you know, no, I, I well, certainly in
1: respects. I feel that way, too, because, um, yeah, I feel that way, too. I don't feel like see because if you look at the kind of theoretical physics I do, it's very broad. Like, right. so I don't focus on one thing and like just, you know, become the master of that one thing because I, I I don't feel like I'm capable of doing that and doing that well. And doing that at the speed as, as my other colleagues. So I just, you know, I take interest in many different subfields of theoretical physics. And sometimes I feel I get scared because I, I mean, not scared. I get, um, I feel like, well, this is not good because for pragmatic reasons, because when you apply for a job or grants and things and people say, well, he's not really a specialist in this. He's interloping in our sub, our field. And so there's all of this stuff that's still there when you're kind of, like, in my case, a generalist,
0: you know. It's well, so,
1: I mean, it's,
0: it's really hard to look back at yeah. history and see any of the people that it's certainly I look up to that were not generalists. I mean, the sort of hyper-specialists of the modern era certainly have important contributions that we all play off of, but you know, I, you know, really... You know, I don't even know what some of our heroes would be considered now. You know, um, either in music or in jazz, it's, or in or yeah. in. It's yeah. it's interesting. Definitely I mean. in music, right? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I can't wait. I want to. I want to get to that for one second. Is like the formalism of, of I I think formalizing of uh, physics in. You know, gen- generally, I would think you formalize people formalize physics in different mathematical forms like for an applied physicist like myself we use a lot of linear algebra you probably use a lot of differential equations and mm, things yes, yes and and sometimes it's to look at the same thing i mean we could you can look at quantum mechanics and you could use heisenberg matrices and things or you could look at schrodinger's equations which are and you kind of come up with these answers they're different ways of getting at something but it's there's a, there's a formalism uh, attached to that same thing is true in jazz, especially if you look at like the work that Coltrane did, right? Yeah. If you look at Train and you look at why did he not just either purely improvise, which he did plenty of, mm-hmm. read normally the way that most people read music. Why did he create something different? And, you know, he, he created a formalization that was in touch with something do you have do you have any thoughts on that
1: it's culture and changes for for one so i mean he did mm-hmm. he had different yeah no well i here's my thought i mean um i did so one of the things i, de- I definitely did because it was the entree and i mean into the into my writing which was i just had this you know you have you you know like people like i don't know you, if you race horses or you you have a fascination with bees or what have you. And then you come up with your own weird fascination and you start investigating it out of just pure, you become like a detective of something that everyone is like, that is so irrelevant. That is so not worth like looking at. I mean, so I, when I, um, used to hang out with my buddy, David Boyce, who's in the, I think the top sax player in the Bay Area, David Boyce, um, from the Brown Fellinis. I used to go to his place and, um, David had everything that, you know, I, I called his place the shrine years ago. Because he used to be a um a jazz DJ as well. So he had everything and knew everything about jazz history. Like if you like he had all these jazz albums in his in his flat. And I just if I pull something out, he would like say, Oh, that year Dizzy Gillespie played this song. Who and he played the same song in 1958. And like he was this guy, right? his wealth of knowledge. So I used to go hang out with him and he had this book. Um, I think it was uh, the Yusuf Latif book uh, uh, on on scales, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and the daunting all these scales, thousands, hundreds of scales from all over the world, and um, and patterns, and all you know how to play through change, all the stuff he had, right? And there were no words in the book except one page In the very beginning. There's this diagram, this geometrical mandala-looking thing, yeah. right? with like that you can just stare at for hours and it was a birthday present that coltrane gave him um i believe it was the year 1961 i might be mistaken about that but um and i stared at this thing and when i looked at this thing again it was like this weird thing because here i am like you know the physics head comes in and i'm like oh my god this looks like some really interesting like tetrahedral geometry title i started like So I started going off on this with my friend David, and he's looking at me and he's like, Okay, that's pretty cool. I have no idea what you're talking about. And after that, I just had this fascination with this, trying to figure out whether or not there was something to this or not. And and eventually, what happened was I started doing, as the years progressed, I would run into people like, um, I would, I started giving. Popular talks on this, making things up, actually. Saying, so, well, there must, you know, I even gave like a, a weird TED talk that was completely wacko and like, actually, I even made a squeaking sound in my sax when I played, so it's kind of embarrassing. I don't like talking about it. But anyway, so I'm going off on all this connection. And one day I did this in New York and this, after I did this whole fit spiel, this young woman walks up to me and goes, my father knew John Coltrane, and he told me that Coltrane was fascinated with Einstein. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Tell me more. Who's your father? Or um, his name is um, David Amram.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: Right? Well, I don't know if it was a father or a, a niece or whatever, but it was yeah. a familiar relation. And I was like, how do I find him? How do I find him? So David Amram, right? Um, you know, David Amram, multi-instrumentalist, the first person to introduce the French horn to jazz, play with Dizzy Gillespie, classical composer. Hal Bernstein in, uh, made him the, I think, the first conductor composer of the New York Philharmonic, right? So the guy's a heavy dude. And I wanted to meet David Amram. Fast forward another year, my friend Robin Hirsch at the Cornwall Street Cafe. Tells me, yeah, I know, right? You know, Robin.
0: You, he was just in here a couple weeks ago because wow. you know, you
1: know, they lost that place. You I know, know it broke my heart, man. I was already. I, I wanted,
0: I wanted to get it back, and I tried to find a way. Maybe we can now if we ever, if these places ever open again.
1: But yeah, okay. Anyway. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting that we're connected that way too. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my uncle Robin. I, I love that guy. Um, um, so. Yeah, and I'm gonna miss that place because that was one of my fixtures. Every time he's come to empty New York, I would all, I would always go there. That's my people, my community.
0: Yeah, my mom, me too.
1: And so much music. And um, so anyway, so Robin goes, oh, you know, David Amram has a show here. I think once a month. You should come to that, and I'll introduce you guys. So I come to it, and I mean the guy is incredible. Right, he plays every instrument in the book. He's like, and. Super humble and the nicest guy. And we go for, um, afterwards, to the zinc bar to get a drink. And we're talking, right? And I said, is it true? Then he shares a story with me. And the story is that um, there was this jazz club called Cafe Bohemia or something in the village. Okay, I think it was in the West Village. And Dizzy Gillespie was playing... I think he was playing with Dizzy Gillespie. And during the intermission, he comes outside and Coltrane was eating a pie or something. Okay. <laughs> and, and he said that he and Train, they, they, were, they were like mental, I guess. Train would use him as to what well, Train was fascinated with theory, like, and Amran being a composer, their friendship was based on, on, on just talking a lot of theory, right? Just a lot of music, music theory. And right. train would use him as a soundboard to, like, you know, try his new theoretical ideas. And so Amram always knew, like, you know, how to read into whenever train would say something or ask him something. So he said, "Train asked him, was he eating a pie, and goes, just said to him, you know, what do you know about, um, what do you know about Albert Einstein?" Um, um, and then Amram knew that that meant that was basically code for him to say. What do you think about Einstein?
0: Oh, And right, right, right. so then
1: that's what Amram did. He said, so what do you think about Einstein? And he goes, well, and then Amram tells me that Train says, well, and then he starts unloading and unleashing all of this knowledge of geometry and, you know, the motion, black holes and all these things, right? And, and, and then Coltrane looks at him very seriously and says, what Einstein did for physics, I'm trying to come up with a system, to do the same thing with music. Yeah. Okay. Now, what did Einstein do for physics? <laughs> right. And this is where it got interesting because if you are a musician, right, and you hear, a, and you know a little bit about physics, but you know you know a lot about jazz and you know a lot about theory, and including Coltrane, but anybody else would say something that you would think that this person is a crackpot. Like what? There's nothing that Einstein did for physics that could be done for music. I'm sure that people would say this, but it turns out that the diagram then completely made sense to me. Yeah. What Einstein did for physics was by realizing he put the symmetry principle or the invariance principle, right, at at center stage in terms of formulating and understanding physics. The theory of relativity was based on symmetry transformations of space-time um, and all the interactions later on when we realized, like Feynman and others realized that you can apply the same thing to the other forces. So the standard model is based on gauge symmetries. Same thing. So what train was really trying to do, like, again, like not trying to do, but I think that he was inspired at the very least by the power of, 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 um, thinking about symmetry as a, because the co train changes are based on, um, these, uh, um, you know, the chord changes um, revolve around sy- symmetry, symmetric scales, right? The augmented scale, in particular.
0: Right, and you yeah. don't see you don't see that in linear progression. No, in you music. don't
1: see that in linear yeah. progression.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. And you heard this after your TED talk, so you couldn't recount this yeah, story. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, I, by the way, anybody who hasn't seen this image that's listening to this should definitely check it out. Whether you whether you hear this story or not, it's a beautiful thing. Look at it. Listen to some of train playing. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. It
1: was sort of like a strategy, right? You know, I think he, yeah. I mean, we don't know why he wasn't, but he definitely, and then his son, Ravi Coltrane, told me yeah. once um, when I was thinking about writing my book, I ran into him at some, I think it was um, Wayne Shorter's 75th birthday, and I said, you know, I'm thinking of writing a book about your dad and go about, you know, what's it about? So it's about his fascination with like, you know, it's some of his connections with physics and Einstein he goes and he gave me this serious look. Right. And he goes, my father was deeply into physics and mathematics and then like walked mm-hmm.
0: away. <laughs> so yeah, so. it's amazing that uh, it's a beautiful thing when you find one of your heroes has a similar passion to you right? Right. Yeah. do
1: you have any of that
0: i mean no. oh yeah i mean d- definitely i mean all of these same things that you talk about you know i mean i tell people of i mean it's amazing that i mean a little thing i mean the, there's the the yeah i mean it means a lot that einstein always traveled with a violin you know i mean that means something right then yeah. like, why why could he not be without a violin like you're you can't you notice that if you go um you know a week without playing you know without picking up your sacks you feel differently yeah it seems that einstein was the same right like he yes. had to, he had the play yes um but but you know i mean there's there's other things for me like I, I i i uh you know i own a boxing gym and it's suffering right now due to covid of course but i was a you know it's here that miles was a uh, was into boxing right, right like right. there's that it doesn't always have to be deeply intellectual right it can be like uh, it just it could be physical it could be something that is like right. oh god how cool that i connect on these different levels and i don't know what miles's connection was exactly but it does but it doesn't really matter there's the, the there's like your brain you know how was his brain working when yeah. he was trying not to get hit you know <laughs> how was his brain working when You know, and I'm trying to learn from both of these things. And maybe I'm I'm guessing it a lot. And then I'm trying to talk to people who may have known Miles. You know, this this is a great exploration of of, of people. And I mean, it just came to my mind when you talk about formalization and looking at things. Um, Feynman diagrams are a bit like this, too, right? Like there's something like, why create Feynman diagrams? And even though I'm not even sure how much. I mean, I, I don't even know if they were as important to anybody else as they were to Feynman, Right. But it, it was still, it kind of reminds me of this way of trying to understand, you know, I mean, when it's like quantum electrodynamics, this is, this is, this is stuff that reminds me of the way you, your mind works. When you talked about, you know, having your postdoc, and you're, you know, you're intimidated. You're trying to picture something visually that others are doing with other type of formalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think that, you know, one of the, you know, best physicists and also, you know, in innovators in his field created a new way of doing, you know, that I think was as m- meant to be as much of a help to him as to anybody else. I mean, or yeah. next week, do you think yeah. that's true?
1: I think it is true. Yes. I think it's like, you know, you gotta, I think a big, um, Someone once told me that, you know, I went to a liberal arts college and, and somebody, maybe it was, a, a, maybe it was a, a mentor just a, a, said the point of, of, um, of an education, and I guess it was referring to now, you know, in a, a college education or a liberal arts, it's not to teach you how to think, but f- to teach you how you think or mm. something like along those lines, but like for you to understand how your mind works. Um, because, right, if you try to, um, what's the word, conform your thinking to the way other people might, uh, other uh, other people think, right? Um, I You know, obviously, there are certain standards and certain things that we have to learn. We have to learn a trig identity or this or that. I got, but I, in terms of like, creative thought, you know, some, some, I found that I had to a big part of um, what I had to learn was not learn, but appreciate is how just like some things that came that seemed pedantic, like stupid or that I would just like, you know, like taking a piece of napkin, if I'm sitting and I have an idea, I'm playing with an idea and just uh, doodling weird stuff without any formalism, without anything, if you want to throw, like, pre-associate, I don't know what it is, but it's sort of like, that's somehow, sometimes how I think, and it, that's more natural to me than maybe, you know, sitting and writing down a, a bunch of matrix algebra at first, right? But some some people may th- think better that way, but I find, you know, I find that like, figuring out and learning and exploring, Um, What's more natural to you in terms of how you are creative is, I think, something I definitely try to bring out in my my students, you know, like, and the same applies actually, you know, what, about giving talks. I, you know, I learned this from my PhD advisor He said, you know, every goes, everyone, I gave a talk once and he had, you know, he, he jotted down a bunch of, took some notes and with, you know, constructive criticism. But he did the most amazing thing, which was because I, I I felt very you know um, I don't know what the word was but um, nervous and you know re- potentially rejected because you're like oh you're giving this talk and it's your first formal physics talk and here's this guy with a list of things telling you all the things you did wrong. But one of the things he said that was that trumped everything, all the criticism made me um, embrace the criticism. Was he first said. You know, when I give my talk, I've developed. I develop my own style. He goes, "You too will find your style," and all this really is are just you know, you know, uh, a, a turn a wrench here and this little thing here. But at the end of the day, this is all because eventually, as you get more practice, you're going to develop your own style, right?
0: You know, I, I don't know why this made me think, except for I, I think, you know, you and I are the same generation. We're similar ages, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, and there, there's, a, um, there's a thought that both in physics and in music or, you know, in creativity in general, people tend to, you know, be their best when they're in their 20s in some regard. And what you just said to me is super hopeful. In the in the kind of idea that you're finding, it's it's a lifelong search for finding your own way of expression and identity. And that it's kind it's wonderful if you don't find that at 21, because Jesus, what what else are you gonna where else are you gonna go? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, do you do you, do you have a sense that there's something? you know, m- more to be discovered. And if there wasn't, you know, what's going on tomorrow. You know. Wait, say that one more time. So if I'm thinking, it, I mean, it goes a little bit to that Ornette situation that we mm-hmm. talked about earlier, but you had just made this statement about finding your own voice, your mm-hmm. own way of doing things. Yes. Um, this isn't something that you find at 21 no, years no, old, no. and then that is it because then it's not your voice then. I mean, our cells have regenerated. We've gone through life, we've had kids, we've gone through I mean forget about even the physics, right We've gone through a lot of different things. Yeah. How do we you know update, throw it away and be and, you know and and real and maybe we never can find it. Yes. I, mean, I believe I or not,
1: I still feel like I'm searching for, um, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I've had certain there are certain things that I have learned about my style. Um, about my way of um, being creative and solving problems or approaching problems or, you know, trying to find problems, trying to. Oh, some of that is called taste. Right. Right. Yeah. One of my big heroes in physics, B.J. Bjorken, um, learned, he's like, learned, the person that intuited the existence of particles called quarks before we, there was even a theory for it, right? Um, B.J. told me, he goes, um, you know, being, a, a big part of his job is to develop, a, to develop taste, to develop taste for a good problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's interesting, huh?
0: That is, that is really interesting, taste for a
1: problem. Right. Oh, I really I mean, love the taste bank. in general. I think taste in general, right?
0: Um, um, right. I mean, t- taste in literal taste. I mean, it's like you try, you know, you're tasting Bordeaux wine. Right. You know, and you're trying to find, like, I get the left bank versus the right bank, and it has this different right. blend. Man, no, I want to develop that through a lifetime. That's yes. fascinating.
1: I yes, mean, it's, yes. Uh, Yes.
0: And, and then you realize this is what I really like.
1: Yeah. yeah that, that's an interesting concept. And taste can sometimes change too, right? I mean, there was a time I was, a, for example, I did, I did worship the math god. And I, you know, my first postdoc I was, my taste did develop into like, oh, look at all this beautiful math and structure and like sets. And I started like really getting into that. Um, and got lost in that. Actually, you know, sort of like you know these whirling dervishes, right? You get high on the on, on being lost in the zone, so to speak, right? And then my taste changed into you know hanging out with Bj Bjorken and you know and um, the, those people, Lenny Susskin, um, in my second postdoc, and it was all about like, oh no, wait, wait, wait! Look, try to visualize it. Can can you see? Can you see the you know the the motion of this? five-dimensional object within 10 dimensions and doing this like so it was interesting too like how how taste can change as well
0: yeah i always wonder about this with this math this mathematical or physical physics theory of beauty and elegance that it had that the the things that must be true, must have a, uh, you know, a mathematical simplicity and what what people would think of as beauty attached to it. And the only reason I'm skeptical of this is not because I don't think it's beautiful. However, the universe works must be beautiful. But, but we're assigning an aesthetic to, I'm wondering if you feel like we're assigning an aesthetic to a mathematical beauty of of the physics of the past. Yes, I
1: as I as I get older in physics, I, I'm starting to realize that, um, you know, I am I'm starting to um, attune myself to that to to the beat of that to the to, to the sound of that harp. Um, I mean, I mean, in, in other words, I'm am I, I agree I, I agree with that sentiment, um, and I think that um, just to give an example you know a big the whole reductionist approach to physics right this idea that you know we kept going to shorter and shorter distance scales and there's this pattern that you see that you keep seeing more and more symmetries right more Mm -hmm. and more symmetries you know you you know um, you um, go to the atomic scale then you know you see that the um, you know you have and then you go to subatomic scale, you see that you have all these other symmetries associated with the, you know, how particles are, re- the patterns at which particles are related to each other by symmetry. Um, you know, I can take an electron and a neutrino. I thought they were different things, but there's actually a symmetry amongst them, right? And the, so this idea that we keep finding experimentally, and then we're able to then write down theories that, that, um, that have these symmetries manifest and then we can make predictions and learn things. And so this idea that, in that sense, that uh, you keep going, that you expect to see more of this, be- then there's this like, you know, association with symmetry and beauty. So therefore, when I go to the extremely, extremely high energies, I sh- I'm gonna see the universe just becomes beautiful in this way and more symmetric. And I am starting to think the opposite, actually. Right. Yeah. But I mean, uh, that well, means Not even me. the opposite, but but maybe it's neither of those out- outcomes, you know. Um, relative oh. beauty.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and here I'm reaching, I'm somebody who doesn't try to see the connection as much between physics and jazz or in music as you have done. But I think about dissonance a lot, right? You know, the. There's there are these things that are considered beautiful in music, but that, you know, often we've or at least I find the dissonant to be really more interesting sometimes. Like you can, you know, elevator music is very, you know, it's very uh, easy to the ear and it's beautiful in a way. It's calming. But the real interesting thing is in dissonance. And I'm mm. wondering mm. how dissonance plays into potentially the way the universe works. Interesting. It doesn't make it not beautiful, yes. just because it, it's not. Yes.
1: yes, that's a really good, um, powerful analogy. Um, not no, I'm saying um, question. Um, I mean, yeah, I have no idea if it's
0: true. I <laughs> know, <laughs> no, 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 no,
1: no. I like this. I like this. I like this. I like this. I mean, you know, it's really interesting because I mean, here's one interesting analogy, and it's a powerful thing. Was very powerful that Richard Feynman, right? I mean, this is the idea that I mean, resonance, right? You know, you, you have the idea of resonance that you have um, an object that can vibrate, that is subject to vibration. It can vibrate and that, and that if you hit it with just the right frequency, right? Externally, it, it basically, it m- most efficiently vibrates f- for that frequency, right? Yeah, it's natural frequency. Right. Yeah, the right. whole phenomenon, of course, of why the opera singer, when she hits the right note, the glass will break, that Re- res- resonance, right? So um, the idea that, that, you know, particle creation and annihilation, for example, is literally a resonance, like in the sense of, in quantum mechanics, a particle has a wave-like property. And so when you look at the matching resonance of the wave-like property of matter, you can actually create or resonate another particle under the right condition. Uh, So this, so it's really interesting. That analogy goes through very interesting. So when you said dissonance, that really got me thinking, right? That whether or not there are really interesting and on unexplored particle phenomena or mysteries that actually is based on dissonance rather than resonance in in this, in this literal sense, that's why I really jumped at what you just said there. So thank you very much. I'm going to run off and, and, and toy with that idea um, and doodle with that later on. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I mean, who you knows? There uh, may be
0: something there. the
1: new hit on the scared, Alexander yeah. finds a
0: dissonance. Hey, I told this <laughs> guy that's under record, I will half, half the prize. <laughs> uh, I'll put this, out, this podcast out after your Nobel Prize. <laughs>
1: it's like, you know, like, I want to be an author in this paper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know if something comes of it, though.
0: Yeah, please, please. No, but I, I do find that that's that's one of the things that if people say that whether it's contemporary classical music or contemporary jazz, people when they say it's difficult or it's hard to listen to, and you and I find it amazing to listen to, it's it's often this thing that it. You know, it's different. It doesn't. It's not the expected, and the expected becomes comfortable. But the expected isn't is as at, at, to me as rewarding as the unexpected. Right. This is why I miss right now. We were recording this during a time where we can't. We're both in New York right now, and we can't go and hear live music That's in right. a small room. I mean, you and I, you know, late at night would go like we play a little bit of place. We go and you go to Smalls. It's just a jazz club. Or you yeah. maybe go to the Blue Note. Cornelia Street, and you would check out jazz. Like we can't do that now. Yeah. But the reason why that was so great, yes, there was community, and you could get up and play and stuff. But there, there's also this sense that you don't know what's going to be played. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's a once in a lifetime experience every time you do it, mm-hmm. and it's not going uh, to necessarily like be pleasing to what the otherwise if it were pleasing to everybody it would be the expected yes yes um yes you know I mean I think that could change I mean I didn't that sounds almost insulting to people who don't like jazz or contemporary classical music it's not at all it's more of an invitation to
1: yes yes let's
0: try, let's let's try to listen differently and explore that part of ourselves and enjoy it you know, it's, yeah. it's brought you, know, it's brought us as pleasure. Why shouldn't it bring everybody pleasure? Right, right, right. <laughs> or that experience. you duration? find
1: yourself like um, in different, like, like, let me, so like, what do you, like, what do you listen to these days? I mean, um, in terms of, I find that like, I go through these cycles, not cycles, but I have moods where I'm like, you know what, um, I need to, I want to listen to some, some, um, you know, some Cecil Taylor now, you know, or I need to listen to some Coltrane. Oh, I, I can't listen to Coltrane today.
0: You know, I, I mean,
1: how, yeah. how are you with that?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been interesting. And, uh, I mean, most of my adult life has been listening to Cecil or Coltrane, right? I mean, those oh. things are always like go to, but during COVID I've had this interesting thing. So, I mean, you know, I have a record player, and I also, of course, listen to Spotify and things as well. But I've been putting on like stride piano stuff, like really old school stuff. Mm-hmm. like and, and, you know, like listening to whether it's Fats Wall or, or things that are not, you know, that that are not that. And And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because I'm looking for some kind of comfort in the past of people have gone through, you know, times that are difficult and come out of it. You know, I don't know what it is, but I, I am right now. I am listening to at the same time, then I will go and check out and listen to Craig Taborn's new stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, I, you know, I mean, I, I do really like to check out new things too and listen to what's coming out, but I really have noticed that I'm turning back to finding out who where the origins are, yeah. and enjoying it. I don't know. It's, yeah, I, I, And maybe representative of the time or just trying to, when I'm home alone or something, I get to explore. I, I get to try to work on my technique a little bit more. Like I oh. get to work playing the piano. Maybe I get to work on my left hand because, you know, for the last 60 years, uh, jazz pianists have focused on their right hand. <laughs> right you know and it's like oh well, if i look this into those stride players and they really work that left hand Right. so maybe it's just that i want something else to to experiment with right um, right right. I don't know. what are you listening to
1: oh that's um well i'm listening to like yeah so i have i'm listening to a, a friend of mine from the bay area um he's a incredible saxophonist um i think one of my favorite uh, like a live saxophone um his name is Dana Stevens he's a tenor mainly a tenor player but he plays a more the guy's amazing he you know like his personality really shines in his playing so you can really hear his you can hear his voice and just a dynamic player and he has that kind of like that Joe Henderson vibe you know like because yeah. you know Joe Henderson was like that he could he'd be he played play like he would he would play like a Autumn Leaves and then like take you somewhere out and then come right back. You know, he's like that kind of player, right? Um, just so um, very versatile and not afraid. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and um, so like, and just very sick and an incredible sound. So I've been listening to him. I, I I tell who I plan to listen to tonight, actually, cause that because it came to mind talking with you, is um, Henry Threadgill, the sax player. Um, I think it was part of the Chicago audience, the, the, um, ensemble. Have you heard him play live? Oh my God. It blew me away. It blew me away. Yes. I was, yes. His stuff is like in a, his live shows are, it's like, what's it? It's like, you're taken on a, a journey. Like, I mean, I'm talking about it with the rest of the band too. Right. Like, right, they all take right. it's like, okay, come here. Come here to this side of the of the earth. here. they how about here and this other
0: planet? <laughs> I mean, do you notice the difference that we're looking for journeys still in our record? Uh, listening to recordings now that we don't have the journey of going to Smalls and discovering a, a journey like like yeah. our choices. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm feeling like my choices of what I'm going to listen to. I want to actually, you know, I, I want to listen more attentively because I don't have. I, I'm not going to be able to discover people in the way I used to. For right now, I mean that'll change, but I'm feeling that a bit. Ah, uh,
1: you know what? I'm, I'm I'm tempted to do something. I'm I'm now at my um um uh, my partner's place. I'm house sitting at the moment, and her daughter oh, has her daughter has a, a piano. I want to. I'm I, I don't play piano. I play a little bit. I took it when I was, but I want to. Oh. There's a piano here. See? You? Oh, cool! Play oh. for me. So, um, I'm going to play a note, a few notes and um, play a few notes. And the idea is that I'm going to give you a few notes and I want you to explore with it later on. Okay. How about that? Oh God. I wish and
0: I had then, a piano. And then, computer and then, I want you
1: to, then I want you to do the same thing for me. And I don't know if
0: you're right next me. to me, but maybe I can move a computer in.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so, that would be cool. So let's see, something completely random here. How about? It's more or less random. I don't know, I just felt like... Yeah, yeah. I haven't touched my horn in a couple of weeks, so (laughs) I just about you. (laughs) Will you come over tonight and play with me? Um, that might be possible. What, where are you at? In Brooklyn. Um, we in Brooklyn. Uh, or I can come over there and play that piano. Yeah. You can come over, you can come here and play the piano. Yes.
0: <laughs> no, I don't. We, if it's not tonight, let's do it in the next few days. Oh yeah, yeah. I would I'm love so, to do that. I'm, 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 I'm totally
1: looking to play. I'm so looking to play.
0: Yeah. I'm afraid that if we sit and not do it, years are going to go by and we're not going to do it. Yeah. And I really want to do it. You know, I found one neighbor who I played, is Michael Sarian is a great trumpet player and he's the only guy I've been playing with because he's a neighbor and it's been great and I'm experimenting with different things. We should be doing this. Oh, yes. We should definitely be doing this. I, you know, I, I'll let you go. And this was an amazing conversation. I have a funny question. Here's a, this is a question because you brought up Cecil mm-hmm. Taylor. Great piano player, mm-hmm. great influence on me. Mm. And I remember when he passed a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a friend, like people were, I was in the, up and the, I was out of town. I was up upstate and people were texting me every few minutes, man, he's still alive. He's not doing well. Is I? Like, there were, there were, there was all of this concern for Cecil. Right. And it was back and forth. And when he passed, it was like this, this sorrow. Right. And and, you know, I went to, you know, just like we went to I went to, uh, you know, to Ornette's funeral memorial service, went to Cecil's, a lot of jazz musicians. And I notice what these memorials are like. Now, this is it's a weird thing to say, but the jazz community has a certain way of honoring mm. its the legacy of the music and the person. Yes. I don't. Do we do that as scientists?
1: Good question. Um, it's a weird question. It is a weird question. Tell me more about you know how you know. Um. But well, one of the things that I know happens, well we do in physics, as of course, is we. These different, like yeah, we in yeah. theoretical we definitely have these like you know yeah um lifetime you know like at age sixty okay. or maybe whatever at some point yeah. all your students and all your colleagues that work with you come together and have like a big sell-up, Big party and they, then usually that that usually is where people give talks about how your work influenced theirs or they might right. review some old paper that you wrote um so they but that doesn't happen with yeah so that. That I guess happens. It does. that happens. Yeah. But not like not in the way not in the way that I've seen it happen like, you know, in jazz.
0: Uh, yeah, it's it's strange, but you're right. You have these like even after somebody passes in in uh, physics you have a series of lectures that people yeah. will honor their work. Right. And that's similar. But it's not the same kind of community to me. And I'm wondering if in you know, there was this, if you look at Europe, and you look at history of how science and arts worked together to define what culture was historically, Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, enlightenment, or before even Renaissance, Mm -hmm. these things went together. I'm wondering if there's something that we should all learn about community, right? And, and sort of the honoring and continuation of something that, is, that that goes beyond formalization of something like a series of lectures. And I kind of want to end on this just because I, I want to make sure I want to make sure that we honor each other and the work of people that we care about. Yes. And the, it's not lost to a book, you know, yeah. it's not lost. To, it's, it's not, it's not stuck in academia. It's there in joy and tears and, you know, figuring out that celebration right. in a different way. And I want to make sure that we don't become so academic that that's lost and it can be lost in both.
1: I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that, and um, um, yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because now it occurs to me that if you look at the way I, if, in a lot of ways, writing my book was a way of doing that with some of my physics teachers, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Paying was, on it. Paying them. on it, yes, paying on yeah. That's
1: right, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: You did a beautiful job at it, Stefan. You're. Yeah. Your book was amazing and important. I've given it to so many people. Oh, I really appreciate that.
1: I mean, I'll be honest with this about this: that I, I think my biggest, my biggest fear was, you know, how my music buddies, especially those, um, um, would would take it, um, yourself included. And the other thing I I really felt was I I was like, you know what, I hope, I hope, like you know, I was like. There are other jazz of physics books, like other. Pe- I, I do I think it was a fallen thing. You know, like how you you might take a particular form, a standard, let's say, and then you improvise over that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I sort of felt like my writing this book was my version of this, the you know the, the exploration between your artistry and your, and, and your approach as a scientist, if you, if you're a person that does both. And what I would hope to see, honestly, is everyone like, you know, I I would love to see your version of that. Like, you know, what's, what's Matthew's uh, take on this, you know, what's nanoscience have to say about that? What is entrepreneurial? I mean, like, you know, I, I think everyone has a story in terms of how their different worlds interface and, and uh, how they might even just explicitly explore that, and um, try to like weed things out of it—not weed things out, but you know what I'm saying—draw things out of that by yeah. in in an exploratory way. So, I was—I hope that what I did was also an inspiration for like you know for others to kind of tell their version because one of the things I definitely. I think I'm still worried. I, I remain worried about it. it was like, this is the way jazz and physics are connected. No, this is Stefan Alexander's take on it. And it's I,
0: hope, exactly I would like say, come out that it. way. Huh? It's your story of how it's connected right. without a grand statement of, it has to be this. It's your voice, the way that your that Cooper and, and Ornette and all of these people in your life did and pays respect to them. And, I think that all of us want to pay respect to you for it. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Stefan. Appreciate you.